Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Hi there. Good morning. So, um, so good morning to all of you and also a special welcome to the people who might be listening in from uh, Sanghas in Madison, Wisconsin, England, Switzerland, Chicago, Alpine, and Hawaii. Um, so uh, welcome, welcome. To begin, I'd like to make some announcements first. Uh, first of all, the precept class has begun, um, started I believe last week, and Todd is uh, the main lead on that. And so I encourage you, if you're interested in participating in that, you can probably still uh, get in because they were just overview last time. So contact um, Todd if you are interested in that. Um, it's a hybrid offering, so whether you're online or, or here, you can participate in that. The second thing I wanted to mention is we have a calling for Lower arrangers. So anybody who's, you'd have to be on site for that. So anybody who's willing and able, um, you'd be most welcome to come join us. Uh, no experience necessary. We'll show you the ropes. It's not very difficult and it's uh, a once a month, more or less thing. So we'd love to, love to have you. Contact uh, me or uh, Anne. Either one of us can give you further information on that. Uh, and the third thing is just a heads up that the end of this month, we're having a short intensive. Um, that'll be Todd and I that will be offering that. Um, and so just be ready for uh, information to come out shortly, the registration and then uh, a description of it. So just so you know, put it on your calendar if you're interested in that. Okay, anything else? Anybody know that needs to be said now? Sorry. Oh yeah, um, can you, so, there's a song of party and there's an email that just went out about it. Uh, the 19th? I'm, no. Yeah. yeah. It's the 19th? 18th. 18th. Okay. Seven to nine. Seven to nine here. Um, and there's gonna be music, so that'll be really along with snacks. And for those online, you can participate as well. Um, just you'll have to bring your own snacks. <laughs> so all right. I think that's I think that's it as far as announcements go. So today, as we know here, especially in the United States, it's the 4th of July, meaning it's Independence Day. And so I was thinking about that in, in preparation for this talk. And uh, the thing that I was thinking about was freedom. And um, in that case, it was freedom for, uh, freedom from tyranny from <laughs> our former power that ruled us, the UK. <laughs> and, um, but it also meant freedom, a lot of, a lot of freedoms. And, 
So I was thinking about that and what freedom is for us as Buddhist practitioners. So uh, I have been reading uh, a book, the most recent book, um, well, published posthumously by uh, Joko Beck. It's called Ordinary Wonders in Life and Practice. Um, and so I was reading one of the uh, Dharma talks, and I think that uh, this one kind of addresses a little bit of freedom. We're not going to be talking about um, defended origination, but we'll end, ultimately end up talking about how to free ourselves or at least weaken our core beliefs. So that's where we're headed. All right. So most of us, um, use these. most of us, um, see life as good, it's good one, or life of this life is bad, or life is meaningless, or life is dramatic, or life is a strip. We all have our own views on that. There's not just one view. Everybody has their own their own variety, what they think about life. And Joko says uh, the problem problem, it's just a fact. Um, we may not be able to articulate or be conscious of our, our strong views about this, about what life is, but in fact we're guided by it in our actions. And in fact, we're dictated at times by it. So it's really an important thing to be able to look at, look at our, our core beliefs, our views on life. And she also says that, in fact, life is not a thing at all. You know, we call it a lot of things, but it's not a thing. And I can make that point because it's not defined by time or space. It doesn't, it's not, um, it has no duration. It has no space, no particular space. And yet it's everywhere, it never stops. And it is change itself. So we can't just narrow, narrow it in, although our minds do that. It, it's, it's not true. It's not true. It's this thing. It can't be. It changes all the time. It occurs everywhere, all the time. It may not be here, but shortly something will crop up. Life is everywhere and unfolds everywhere all the time. And we have these general views that we have, our philosophies about the way things are about life just flow through our core beliefs. And to add to it, we have our moods, and our moods further flavor our views. So, as I was saying earlier, uh, everybody has their own variety on these things. Some people consider life as their views as dramatic, or they consider um, like to be something dull and plod through it. And others have kind of an anxious, it's interesting that she says it, an anxious mood. I never thought of anxiety being a mood, but in any case, there's this quality of anxiousness that we bring to our views. And yet, we have to remember that our true self, our true self 
could possibly be anxious. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's not, our true self is not anything and it can't, life can't be, and it can't be anxious. So, well, it's, it's our conditioned self, obviously, that's causing, it's bringing up this, these different views and moves. It's going on all the time. We recognize it or not. So we, we may blame our moods on, on various things like the weather or you know, physical conditions and so forth. But if we look at it more closely, what those moods really come from, it may not be so. She gives an example about she has these, Joe uh, had, Joe had these ideas about um, San Diego and Hawaii. And she hated the humidity in San Diego was unbearable. And then she go to Hawaii and she'd say, ah, "This is the warm, moist air, just wonderful." <laughs> there was, you know, the same humidity that she had back home. So it's just interesting that we have these ideas about about things. So um, she also says when we think about practice. We have sometimes what happens to us is we we may get bored. We're sitting there for long periods of time, particularly in sashimi intensity, and we, we become bored. I mean, want to look at our watch, but we can't, and it seems like an eternity before the bell rings. And so we have this boredom, and and we just say, okay, that's boredom. But what she suggests is that actually we, we look at our board, look closely at it. What's really going on there? So again, what she says is the core belief um, is behind that. And she talks about her own core belief was that life is a kind of disaster. Imagine what it is to live with that core belief. Um, and so an aspect of that core belief is that she's always, always hoping to feel better, you know, because she's impending that and disaster all the time. So was looking, 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 hoping to find some way to fix herself so that she could be okay, to feel good. And isn't that what we all do? So if we think of we're doing Zen practice, we're sitting. Maybe that will fix me. Maybe that'll take care of me. When we get bored or when we're anxious. So we're bored because nothing's getting fixed. We're sitting there, nothing's getting fixed. So we're really disappointing ourselves. We say, dull, nothing going on here. Why am I even doing this? And then we also look at, we look at present practice as a, as a cure for this. And we also look at external things. So the classic thing is, is romance, right? Seeking, seeking a partner who's gonna complete us and make everything all right. And of course, it's probably not too long into it, we realize that's, that's not really working. We get really disappointed, and it's not, it's not what happens. 
So then we get disappointed in the Lord or what have you. And we, so this is a desire, this desire hoping to fix, hoping to be better. And we, we put that desire on a lot of different things, even, even little momentary sort of hits of feeling better. So, um, I mean, anything. If we watch games, sports games, I'm not really into that, but that's an example. <laughs> um, you know, we have our team, we're really hyped up about that, and they win, and it's like so exciting. And we feel better for a little while. Or we have, you know, politicians that are running for office, and, you know, we're hinging our happiness on this person, right? Things are going to be better, right, God? And, well, they won the election, it feels really good, but then we get into the reality of, you know, the day-to-day, -day, some things go well and some things just don't. And we get to feeling incomplete again. So then we go back to practice and we're sitting there saying, this is stupid, why am I sitting here? My legs hurt, it's hot, I'm just uncomfortable. Wow. Wasn't Zen about joy and wonder? Yeah. But again, she says, we need to look at the border. And we need to feel the fear that's at the base of it. What's beyond, what's beyond that? So we sit with it. And the fear, she says, arises because inside of us, it, we don't feel like we're fixing anything. We're just staying as we are. We have these ideas, I, I want to be different. I want to have things different than the way they are. I want my mother to look at me. That's my old chant, my mantra. It's taught. I want, I want. And so we think we need something that we don't have, that don't feel we are, so we experience want. In terms of pain, Becky, I believe, the next one on this one. To really just surrender to, to pain and be friendly towards with it, to embrace it, is probably not what we thought this practice was about. We thought it was becoming enlightened. But actually, Joko says, enlightenment is not some tremendous state of being. It's just simply being with what is. So when we're sitting in pain and boredom, we start thinking, we start thinking, man, I hate this. I don't like this at all. But if we notice what we're thinking, but we don't get stuck in it, we don't get stuck in it, we don't attach to our thinking and just experience the pain, the boredom, something bigger starts to surround it. We can't experience wholeness of life or sacredness without including everything. 
You can't experience wholeness of life or sacredness without including everything. That includes pain and boredom, anxiety. So we can be thankful, actually, when boredom shows up because it means you have space to experience what, what's beneath it. So that's something that we can work with. And as one realizes that, something develops in you when you keep sitting and you develop a certain steadiness, right? The longer you sit, the more steadiness takes charge. So there's another thing that we do, another circumstance, where we anticipate life. <clears throat> I'm going to bow right here. I'm the great anticipator. I am um, back in the days of Lotus Lake, which was our, some of Bhagavan's first um, retreats. It would be two weeks out, and I am. <laughs> I haven't been to retreats much, and I would be so anxious, you know, I couldn't think or do anything. Sorry, I'm busy. I'm being anxious. <laughs> <laughs> the world had to stop for it. It was really awful. Um, so we often feel, you know, feel something, in this case, it's anxiety of the situation, but we miss out entirely on what's going on in our life during that time, and that's the sad part. It keeps us from being aware or noticing the situation we're in at this moment. So, you know, now I don't stress about intensive so much. I, I don't. Um, what I what I stress about now is 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 talking <laughs> in front of people. <laughs> and so anyway, I, I think it's endless. But but it's getting better. I think these things get better over time. The more we experience them, and the more we sit with it. Yeah. Um, and so, and we also do this when you know we're going to big events, or when we're going to go to a party, or go be around a bunch of people we may not know them, and you know we we want to impress them on some some way, you know, that we know something, or maybe I don't know, something interesting even likable. <laughs> Depends on what your bar is. Um, and so again, we waste a lot of time thinking about that instead of being where we are at the moment that we're thinking about all this stuff. Most of our life is spent in this space concerning ourselves about the future and planning for it. <clears throat> so um, during this time, we're not experiencing, and we're, what's going on really is we're being pushed around by that core belief of ours. This, we're pushed into our moods and our opinions. So, and Joko said from her perspective that this was true of students who would say, you know, after a long time of she'd been teaching something, she'd say, you know, this is really. This is really a great teaching. I didn't realize it, you know. Of course, they just put it to the side, you know. I don't know. They had their own opinions about it for the longest time. <clears throat> Finally, it was okay. That's what we're doing all the time, and our experiences have little to do with our anticipation. In fact, 
So let's talk about weakening core belief. So our core belief, no, our true self, our true self doesn't know about ambition. Now ambition, and she talks about it, is motivated by the belief that there is something wrong with us that can be fixed if we can get to a certain place. So our true self doesn't know about ambition or about anticipating life. Our true self is, it doesn't become busy with thinking, waiting, measuring, or worrying. It's just perceiving things second by second. And I would encourage you just one moment to stop, stop, stop everything and just check in. What do we hear? What do we see? What do we smell? Okay. So that's it. That's it. Instead of anticipating, you can be here right now. Just remember, just stop, pay attention. What's going on right now? So we humans will never be able to completely be without thought or anticipation. But if we sit regularly, <clears throat> whether we're bored or not, it weakens this ego process. <clears throat> it weakens our attachment to our core belief. At the base of this core belief, the core, the core belief is telling us what life should be like instead of allowing the space to experience life as it is. How is it right now? But when we weaken attachment to our belief and how things are, we're thrown back, this is very interesting, we're thrown back into our actual experience. And that is the gateway to true self. So when we're actually experiencing what's going on, that's the access to true self. To see what upsets you is to see it through your core beliefs. But the work is noticing the feeling or the thought, becoming aware of the core belief. It's the core belief that is animating it. And then being with whatever arises without response or reaction. I'm going to read it again. So the work is noticing the feeling or thought, becoming aware of the core belief animating it, then being with whatever arises without response or reaction. So, for example, let's just say. So she says, Zen is a life that eventually has a transforming element to it. You can't push your way into true self. The idea of the core belief is in the mind. But when you return 
to actually experiencing pain or what have you. Without naming it, you get out of dual, of dual nature of thinking. So again, anger, let's take up anger. If we experience anger, we have to give up our core belief for a moment and just settle into the pain of it. And if we give up that core belief for just a moment, then you are the true self. And if we stay in non-dualistic experiencing, even for a few seconds, it will slowly transform us. That's what our practice is about. Over time, we develop so that we can rest there for, for more than two to three seconds. Oh, it's a slow process, <laughs> but that's okay. We want, don't want to let go of our core belief. We, we don't. We're used to it. That's who we are, right? It's dear to us. It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard spell until we know the true self, until we've, we've, we've met that, we know that. And that's who we think we are, and that's... Who we think we are is, is the core belief. But once you know true self, then you know the core part of the core belief as well. And the practice is the conduit, and this is true self. And that's what we're about here. So that's the end of my talk. Um, are there any questions or comments or anything? We have an exercise. Maybe you'll talk then. Ah, Kim. I'm scared. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking about what is the core belief of Buddhism? And it seems to be the idea that we can end suffering. We do <laughs> well, I, I think right offhand, I'd say, Buddhism is a concept, so we're not talking about concepts necessarily. I mean, we're talking about us and our feelings. You know, how we. How well, we but up. yeah, I have that feeling that we can end suffering. Ah, okay. Is that a problem? Well, sometimes it is a, it's a, certainly a challenge sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something that draws us here. Absolutely. But I guess the distinction I'm trying to make is that, um, that, um, you want to, what did you say? How did you say it? Again, it's a, it's a challenge or to end yeah. suffering or end suffering. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see that as um, if that's your core belief, I'd say you're you're really in a good place. It may be challenging, but that's not a problem. But if your core belief is that, you know, it's not worth getting up out of bed today or any day or you know, you, you narrow yourself so much. That's a pretty broad 
wonderful thing, I think. I wouldn't see that as a, as a bad core belief at all. You wouldn't see what as a core belief? Um, ending suffering as a bad core belief. As a bad core belief. Oh, no, not a bad one, no. Yeah, so I wouldn't worry about it. I'm not worrying. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> okay, so um, any other comments? We'll go on to the exercise. I have a question. Yes. Um, so this idea of like being with life as it is, as a resolution of sorts to this kind of anxiety, um, is something we talk about a lot, I think, in Buddhism. Mm -hmm. How does one know that one's doing that? How do you know when you're at a place where um, you're experiencing life as it is. I have an opinion about that, um, which I'll share with you. I think you know when you're in the present moment. You're aware. I, I think it's something that you know when it happens. Do you say anything more? Okay. So, all right. So, what what I'd like to do? We're okay. We're well, kind of odd, but that's okay. Um, so maybe we'll get into pairs. And so, what I thought we might do, just kind of as a way to get a feel of this, of what she was talking about, is we could work with something as simple as um, and the anticipation. And so um, I would suggest that you, each of us, think of a time when, and, and don't think about something, the most heaviest thing that you were anticipating, and just want to do things that aren't that fully charged, but just something that you, um, was really stressed out and anticipating, in anticipation of, and to see if you can get in touch with that, and then get in touch with the kind of stressed out feeling that you're feeling then, unless you're feeling it right now, and that's even better for purposes of practice. Um, and then just be with it and try to get beyond just the, the anxiety of it or the discomfort of it and go to the actual feeling that's behind it, like, Sadness or fear. So, so if you can get to that, get to that feeling, and um, so we'll each take. Probably uh, Let's take fifteen minutes. Who's monitor? Cody. Uh, let's take. That'll be me today. <laughs> oh, it's you. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, so maybe let's take 15 minutes to do this, so we have time to do our close down. And uh, so we'll get into pairs, and each of you will go think of something that you have some stress about, anticipating the future, and then just spend some time by yourself in pairs thinking about it, and then try to get to the feeling. And then uh, uh, after, say, I don't know, um, 
10 minute, no, let's say, yeah, 10 minutes of, or maybe five minutes of doing that, yeah. Then spend each, spend some time talking with one another about how that process went, what worked, if it worked at all, did you get to the feeling behind it, did you have any sense of it, or, and if you did, what did that, did, did anything, what came up from that, what did you think about it, or what did you, what did you experience from it? So try to go back to the original experience behind the anticipational anxiety. Does that make sense? Do you want us to sit silently for five minutes, yes. each of us? Yes. And and drop into the experience. Yes. And then for 10 minutes, converse. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So uh, I just just to finish this off. Does anybody have any particular comment they want to make, or something they want to share before we close down and do the ceremony? Claudine. Yes, I just want to thank you, Laurie, for proposing this exercise because it was uh, it goes very deep beyond. And it was a beautiful sharing also. Mm. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Go ahead. I, yes. I, uh, I, I heard something in John's question before about um, Can't even rephrase the question, but uh, uh, except to say, you know, you had said, well, you kind of know when you're in the present moment, and and yet I, I, I have a continuing perplexity about that. It's like, okay, so I've gotten to, where I can kind of see the contours of core belief number one, but there's core belief <laughs> one square that's around that. That I can't see the contours of, you know, uh, 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 that in the and I was talking about this with Joma, and she's she had a, a great suggestion, which I think comes from Stephen Bachelor's formulation of this, that if you can choose not to be acting on it, whatever that whatever that feeling is that you can't quite name. That you, but that you have a sense it could be harmful mm -hmm. to yourself or other. Mm -hmm. But if you can choose not to do that, but that is, and I'm saying, well, that's a kind of enlightenment. She says, well, Stephen Patrick says that is nirvana, mm -hmm. you know, which is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Is that is that close to what you were asking about? Yeah, that's a good. Okay, is that a full response? Anyway, I still, I mean, like Claudine says, this is deep. Okay. Anyway, yeah. I, I feel like I'll never get to that edge. Um, I don't think you're alone. Good company. 